Welcome to Spill the Tea, the pod where we speak with guests about various aspects of the LGBT plus culture and provoke our thinking about the degrees of equity, equality of opportunity and oppression experienced by this population. This podcast both informs and educates us and our listeners from people with lived experience. We are Panagiotis Pentais, a hopeless gay geek who still struggles to recognize gay anthems, but Abba's dancing queen. And Ayo Oliemi, a lesbian with one cat and zero belief in astrology. Both from the University of Greenwich, and today we are taking a closer look at Pride and Pride Month, its meaning and significance, as well as impact. Our guest today is Peter McGrath, who's heavily involved in activism since the HIV-AIDS health crisis that had emerged in the US, started to affect the newfound liberation of gay men in the UK. Peter is a writer, designer, activist, an adoptive parent, and one half of the first gay couple to have been legally married in the UK in 2014. Peter will share with us his experience and reflections on Pride, as well as views on how Pride remains an important subject since the Stonewall Riots in 1969. Welcome to the podcast, Peter. We would like to start with asking whether you'd like to say anything further about yourself and how you're connected to Pride. Oh, I'm connected to Pride in many ways, as are so many LGBT plus people and uh, it's been a part of my life since uh, whoa that's difficult to remember really um, it was just one of those ideas I heard about as a kid in Scotland when we had uh, no pride events and um, yes I think maybe London pride was my first pride ever and I have no idea when that was um, but I've taken part in pride uh, along with various organisations from the Peter Tatchell Foundation to the LGBT humanists and along with a contingent from the um, American Embassy. But also, um, the, or should, I should say I'm, I'm a writer, designer and activist. That's how I often define myself. And by that, I mean that the way I live and the work I choose to do often uh, relates to my politics and things that, that matter to me. Um, and pride has always been one of those things that has been terribly important when we're talking about the event, that is. Um, the idea, uh, I don't know, that's it's a bit more chewy, I suppose. But um, I've uh, certainly since I've been a parent, my, my kids, my partner and I have gone every year until the pandemic and we've also been going to Pride since I have and the family has since I think well no since I had the kids there was the barriers up at Pride and we had to jump the barriers to be part of the parade um, which I always thought of as a march and still do I suppose really but um, it, there was a time when London Pride there were no barriers this was before we then moved on to having armbands or some other identification to be allowed onto the, the march. Um, and and people who these days now line the route would have just stood watching for 10 minutes and then joined in at whatever point. And, and that felt really important. And that's been one of those changes to uh, the Pride event, which I've found difficult and detrimental um, 
and that isn't even getting onto the idea of whether it's commercialized or not um but since it's been ticketed i feel like it, for so many people now becomes a bit of a spectator sport and that's really unfortunate when there were always so many people who had even just plucked up the courage to be there and then got caught up in the emotion of it and um, just walked along with everyone else. And in those days, it usually ended in a large festival in one of the big parks in London. And I'm talking about London here, but uh, I've also um, been to Liverpool Pride, Pride in Scotland, Glasgow and Edinburgh. There was even Hackney Pride, a local Pride. Brighton, did I say that? Uh, there's, I mean, there's been so many. Manchester Pride. And so besides being uh, at Pride with the Peter Tatcho Foundation or the LGBT humanists, I, w I was also part of the London Marching Boys for a couple of years at least, um, which was a group that danced the route of Pride and usually about 15 uh, guys and dancing as something poppy, um, whatever. George Michael, 20th Century Boy by T-Rex, um, and usually not wearing an awful lot of clothes, um, which I think is quite an important part of Pride. You know, um, I'm, I'm getting, I've launched into so much stuff here and I, you've only asked who I am. <laughs> I was going to um, ask a follow-up question. Um so it sounds like you have experience in marching various prides and dancing in prides even. Do you remember what it felt like to, when you marched in your first pride? I'm not sure that I do, except that what I've always felt, and it, it, it doesn't, I don't need it so much now, but what I've, the joy I've felt is that uh, sense, which was originally about safety and numbers, but as the years have gone on, then it becomes more about just being surrounded by so many people uh, who are supportive of one another, who are involved in the same causes. And it's it's just a really beautiful, big experience. Being in a tube station when you are in the majority, that in itself is incredible. And all of those people who might, uh, you know, if they were in a, a, a train or a tube that was largely taken up by non-LGBT people might be hiding their banner or sort of crossing their legs to kind of minimise the effect of their costume or whatever. And uh, it's just that sense of let's all just let it all out. We are, we are here, we're us. This is our space. It's about seizing the moment and the streets and saying this is this is ours yeah thank you peter um can i just go back to one of the comments you made about uh, pride being commercialized nowadays um i know probably this will get political but um do you care to elaborate on that and sort of tell us when you remember pride not being commercialized and what's the difference um yeah, well, when it was not commercialised, I mean, it's only recently that it has 
at least in the UK, become particularly commercialised. There have been so many other events that were not necessarily called Pride, where the whole event became somewhat commercialised. So not just the shops that you're passing on the street and uh, the commercial entities that were trying to pass you some samples or some leaflets, um, but there were moves to, to make it all a paid-for event. I think at one point it was... Um, I think it was the guys who published Pink Paper, actually, uh, who took ownership of what Pride was. I think they called it Mardi Gras at that point. I don't really remember. There's been so many other initiatives as well, such as Summer Rights, which was a Pride-type festival, um, which was more more of a party in Soho, really. Um, but there have been times when you, you could not help but notice all of the shops are doing something for Pride. And I think a lot of that is good because, you know, what what do you expect a commercial entity to, entity to do? Um, they mark Halloween, even if they're not necessarily, necessarily selling something that's related to uh, Halloween. Uh, they mark Christmas. Uh, they mark all sorts of festivals and times of year. So while... I don't really have any interest in commercial entities being involved in organising or even being too visible on the march or parade, as they call it these days. So, I mean, pitiful, isn't it, when you just see some really lacklustre supposed floats that are just a really uh, poor advert for various companies. Some of the shop windows have been fantastic and spectacular and inspiring but you know I want to see on the march dykes on bikes I want to see uh, gay religious groups I want to see uh, Brazilians in drag I want to see whatever you know guys dressed as dogs I, I want you know all of that whether people are on floats or or not um, I want it to feel like ours and so it's fine if uh, an LGBT staff association from even Tesco's, say, should um, make their presence felt the way an armed forces group would. But do I want to see a whole load of commercial floats passing by that have almost nothing to say or nothing to do with us? Not really. But, um, you know, I, I quite welcome the fact that you go into March and Spencer's Marks and Spencers and find they're selling an LGBT sandwich during Pride. I think, my God, that's fantastic, you know. How cute is that? Yeah, I don't I don't feel taken advantage of commercially. Um, what I do regret is the way um, the barriers went up and it's almost like we're treated like an event, like a football match or um, the Notting Hill Carnival, both of which always have a lot of... Uh, violence and a lot of, uh, I say a lot of, less so these days, crime. You know, there's a football, um, what do you call it? Uh, a pitch invasion being featured on a stamp right now. You know, if there was some awful event at an LG, LGBT pride, you know, it's not going to be celebrated, you know, what and why would it be? Um, so um, that's where I am on all of that, I suppose, vaguely. There's more to be said. 
Oh, absolutely, and you're throwing a lot our way, <laughs> for sure. Uh, oh, can I just stop you there? Talk yeah. about throwing things your way. To mark pride, and hopefully to start a tradition that you two will be the beneficiaries of as your podcast goes along, I have bought you two presents. Oh, I'm gonna, thank you. I'm going to let you decide who has which. Talking about commercialising pride. Oh, God, no, nothing was spent on these <laughs> these presents. This thing is alive. Do you want to keep it away? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's asking me we'll, to keep it away from yeah. that. Whisper. But anyway, I want you two to decide who's having which. Uh, so you can. I'm going to pass it on. We're yeah. going to have to announce now what, what these are. Okay. <laughs> the listeners will have to. The thing to know. that's alive is a sunflower. And I oh. just thought, since uh, we're surrounded by Ukrainian flags, Do you and check this the sunflower Thanks. is uh, a symbol of Ukraine. And since I'm growing them myself from seed, I thought I would present that. And this this book, which is the other gift, is by a publisher who's a friend of ours who is uh, doing some amazing work with uh, LGBT and other uh, marginalised writers, shall we say. That's so, it. It's very nicely wrapped. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I do like the wrapping. But uh, this is very so kind happy pride of you. to everybody. <laughs> thank you and happy pride. Thank you so much for this. That's that's really, really kind of you, Peter. I was going to say at that point that, you know, you're, of course, there's so much more to say and, and you're uh, sort of um, opening up um, so many topics for us here. But um I just want to go back to something you alluded to, to um, how unique pride is for each individual. And um, perhaps we can theorize and, and generalize and suggest what you know pride is or what it does and what it means. But of course, what it is and what it means would be very different for each person. So, um, so I just wondered whether you care to share more about what is it that it actually means to you and why is it important? Why does it bother you that the barriers went up? Um, so so what, what does that take away from you, which you have been benefiting from, from being part of the Pride? Because you've been doing, you, you've been contributing to it or you've been oh, yeah. engaging yeah. for quite a while with it. Yeah, well, the funny thing is I don't think about it as just being a barrier to me actually marching as someone who's not affiliated to a particular group. So obviously on those occasions when I have marched with the Peter Tatchell Foundation, um, that's because I have a link with Peter for decades, I suppose. And I had to go looking like which group that I am somewhat involved in shall I seek to get a wristband so I can be visible. And visibility is a huge part of it. But I think about all those people, you know, you, you might be um, a heterosexual woman from a fairly conservative uh family or culture or religion who happens to be out shopping and who's got mixed emotions and views on pride and and you might think as you're standing there between Marks and Spencers and Selfridges uh, God this is something fantastic and I feel like I want to just get involved uh, that barrier is exactly that, it's a, it's a blockage and I, I think that sense of those... Our community is not all about just people who are in organised groups. So your community might be your local gay bar, less so these days, obviously, particularly after two years of the pandemic. Uh, your, your support group might not be something that is in any way organised or about to 
contact pride looking for your share of the armbands it might just be you know your local friends um and and for so many people these days the only people they know are people they've met in the two years they've been in london um on grinder or whatever and so is is pride open to them to all of us um and i just think it really ought to be um so the barriers made a huge difference and the idea that everything was all about um what the insurance allows um especially when as i say no one's been hurt or pride it's always been safe yes there have been uh anti-pride demonstrations or or small acts of hate along the way you know someone pretending to shoot a gun and i'm doing a sort of thing with my hand here i've i've seen that you know guys looking like they would rather see us dead um and uh some anti-lgbt religious bigots of course they've always been part of it but no that's that's okay do i feel like i need to be separated from these people um by barriers and more than that do i feel like i want to be separated from people in organized groups uh because somebody has an armband and someone doesn't i don't think so no um i find it interesting that you've mentioned barriers in terms of the actual physical barriers that separate people who are marching or on the parade um now and it seems that those barriers in your mind perhaps also lead to barriers between the actual LGBT plus community marching and then also the wider public in general. And something we were interested in finding out from you is, do you think that Pride could be educational to the public more widely? So perhaps people who aren't necessarily in the community? I think what it is in some ways is or it provides a bit of a litmus test as to what people think about us and our rights and when i say us i mean sexual minorities in the widest sense that's how i often like to frame it so amongst that um, i would think about all those people uh, who are hiv positive and in some places and in some ways their sex lives or their movement are um, hampered or criminalised by the law. Uh, same goes for sex workers. Um, and just the laws relating to this idea of gender fraud and sex by deception, all of that really bothers me greatly. So when you're talking about uh, separating us, the LGBT community, from the wider public, I, I it's more about actually separating organised groups like the Terence Higgins Trust or um, a gay housing charity or um, the gay LGBT firefighters group. It's more about separating them from the wider LGBT community. Because why why would people always want to turn up when they're just going to be looking at a whole load of parades of, um, you know, a float representing some bank or other and uh, they have no chance to actually jump the fence or if they do, it's not it's not an easy thing to do. They're not being welcomed to take part. Uh, I'm possibly losing your point. What do you want to take me back? 
Uh, my question was around whether Pride could be educational. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that litmus test I was talking about, um, I think um, certainly within training work that I developed and delivered for adoption social workers and adoption panels, I was interested in exploring what people thought of Pride uh, to try to sense how they might treat uh, prospective adopters or foster carers who are LGBT and some people including a lot of LGBT people think uh, Pride is shameless and they wish they didn't have those uh, women with their tits out or guys dressed as dogs or you know drag queens flashing their butts or whatever um, and personally I think I'm really really happy with that mix of, as I say, everything from, um, you know, gay Muslim groups to um, fetishists to sports groups and everything else, political groups. Um, and I, I, I think the visibility of it, the greater the visible, the greater the visibility, the better. And therefore, you know, that has got to have some kind of, effect on conversations um, that affect or reach the wider public. And so you hear it being discussed, Pride, on news programmes and uh, current affairs programmes. But more these days, just generally, just the way that uh, things like Grinder would pop up in all sorts of people's conversations or humour or discussions. Um, and... I think other things have, have been making change at the same time, obviously. Like, I think there's something uh, quite levelling, democratising with regards to sex, um, whereby the internet has made it plain that, let's just say, anal sex is not just a gay men's game, you know? Um, it seems like it's uh, big in heterosexual circles in so many ways uh, and I think that's really yeah as I say democratizing and enlightening so um, I like I like things to be openly discussed I like things to be seen uh, obviously um, I wouldn't want people to be offended by what goes on in pride events but in some ways I think you know we could be moving a lot more towards, say, what happens in places like Berlin. I know I've certainly had my moments. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Peter. Um, I mean, it seems to me like there's a great paradox there that um, even though Pride has been an event for decades that has been criticised and debated upon and there's been a lot of conversation around it um, from the wider public and local governments and so forth. Um, simultaneously, and it is an event that is there to celebrate uh, people's um, sort of freedom, freedom of right and so forth, if we look at the history of Pride. But simultaneously, it's also something that seems to be, and from what you're saying, that's what I'm gathering, sort of exploited by organizations um, with commodification and commercialization and so forth. So it seems to me like there's a paradox there. And um, I just wonder 
whether you have any thoughts if um if is it what we're looking at with pride uh, in terms of how it is evolving that we're looking at another event of straight washing perhaps of the uh, movement of the celebration or um a place where you know what we've recently seen in the UK for instance with the NHS and the rainbow flag that it's become the the NHS flag suddenly because of the pandemic like is it something like that that we're suddenly seeing yeah i was thinking about that yesterday uh, personally although i have used various symbols at times like the rainbow flag and the red ribbon uh, i have a picture of um an event i guess you call it a photo opportunity myself and my colleagues in scottish aids, aids monitor um put together during the height of the pandemic where um in in a time and place where people really didn't talk about hiv uh we we had all these gay men out on the street holding red balloons and they were standing in the shape of the red ribbon photographed from above and that was sent out to the newspapers in Scotland and um but i say uh, quite genuinely i'm not much keen on some of these symbols apart from the pink triangle which is not so uh commercialized but i i don't i don't so often really use these things although i don't i don't feel a distaste for them um what you're getting at of course is it's so easy for commercial entities to just go rainbow crazy uh when it's coming up to pride and in a way i think that's just um it's it's some well i think about i have uh, nieces and nephews who are in their 20s and i think about their generation i should say i'm 57 and i i think so none of them is gay uh but they their friends lots of them these days are you know not wildly keen to ever label themselves as heterosexual either and i think that's fantastic progress these are people who went to catholic schools and um you know live in a relatively conservative society i would say and so the fact that um commercial entities would exploit pride as you would say by um you know making everything rainbow colored for a month or so um i i don't feel too bad about that it, it's about particular instances of instances where i think that's really wrong or distasteful or just downright shockingly uh inappropriate commercialization so i i can't actually think of any of those examples just now but yeah I I mentioned the LGBT sandwich at, at uh, Marks and Spencers and that didn't offend me that that actually tickled my sensibilities I thought yeah why not um that people should have to face that because it, it's it's not like you know some um it's not like Benetton doing it for example uh people would expect a company like that you know the whole we are the world thing you know they would expect them to celebrate pride too whereas um Marks and Spencers was somewhat uh conservative and dusty not so long ago and uh well look now it's like who cares really um we've spoken a bit about the 
pride being more commercialized and the and corporations getting more involved. Um, I just wanted to get your thoughts on perhaps what are sometimes labelled kind of alternative pride events. So events are perhaps more organic and have been maybe organised by people on social media and they um, often say that they want to go more back to the roots of pride being a protest and not have any corporations involved at all. And I just wanted to find out what you thought about those. Yeah, I love all these little things. I mean, some of them are not so little at all. Um, there's there's so many different things. In fact, I feel like some of the things I've been involved in organising in the past would count under those. So I mentioned an organisation or an event called Summer Rights, which didn't have a march. And maybe it was all too much surrounded in uh, people getting drunk. But... Um, when I was heavily involved in gay men's health work, um, we organised things in Edinburgh during the Edinburgh Festival called Highland Flings, which were events where um, we got uh, all sorts of people together for a fun day out on the meadows, which is a public park um, towards the centre of Edinburgh. And um, Safer Sex, which was very much our way of protecting ourselves in those days was um, something we were heavily promoting. But it was about health generally and as part of that, it was about uh, your attitude to yourself and your own health and your community. And I just think to to be in control of these small events, yeah, it's wonderful. Uh, there should be as many as anybody wants to have. Um, yeah, and, you know, so... I, I'm thinking also of a party I went to organised by some lesbian friends and it was a midsummer's party where everyone was dressed as fairies. And uh, so this was not a pride event, but, you know, it was in its own way. It happened in midsummer and we're all dressed as fairies, you know. Shebang, it was fantastic. And um, so, yeah, I think these things can be manifested in all sorts of different ways and, and should be. I, I know some people don't like the idea of pride and certainly Ducky, the club at the Vox, Royal Vauxhall Tavern, always had a gay shame event every year. Do you remember that? Um, and I found that a little bit off as um, as I also did uh, Mark Simpson's anti-gay book. Um, you know, like, so there's, and, and not to the same extent as Mark Simpson's anti-gay, but uh, I could understand why people thought, oh my God, does being gay have to be about uh, Kylie Minogue? Does it have to be about crop tops and alcopops or whatever? Um, and yeah, no, but you know, it never was, I don't think, because, you know, but I, I'm quite happy for us to lean on... Um, cliches and stereotypes of our culture if that's a is that the way you put it i don't know you know yeah um yeah so i i loved as i said dykes on bikes do i know gay men who go to opera of course i do do i think that's fine yeah it's you know like be as much a cliche if if that's what suits you if that's your way of getting away from other areas of life that are a bit uh harsher and less um, what is the word? Uh, that's just my age showing here. You know, that sort of restrict you from being yourself, then yeah, find whatever it is, however 
um, cliche. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm into all of those little things. Absolutely. Perfect. Thank you, Peter. Um, I just wonder if, if I'm sort of mindful of time and your time, and I, I think we're going to head towards sort of rounding this up, but I do have a couple questions for you. Um, and the first one is um, to all of our, our listeners as well, because we, we don't necessarily have listeners that will be members of the LGBTQ plus population. There could be anybody out there listening. So do you um, have anything that you'd like to share with um, people who may not have been on a personal level connected with pride, with what the significance of it is? Is there anything that you'd like to share with those individuals in terms of appreciating the importance it has, it, it has to the population? If you mean with regard to encouraging people to take part, for that part, I would say just the the emotion, the sense of um, inclusion, I, I feel strongly, and celebration, and I feel people ought to allow themselves the chance to enjoy it and experience it. Uh, and so, I mean, I'm just thinking about the sense of elation on the year I was with the American Embassy group when um, the federal law had just changed to allow gay marriage and then was it the year after or was it the year before when there had been the mass shooting in the Pulse nightclub in Orlando the sense of solidarity it makes me emotional just thinking about it now I should say my partner's American Um, so just the, the politics has always mattered to me and so some years the focus may have been on the unequal age of consent as it was or um, Section 28 when it still existed and all of these things just make it such um, an important and powerful experience. Um, I, th- I think being counted, being seen and feeling part of that massive number of people is something that can change people's lives, uh, most definitely. Uh, just as, uh, you know, joining your local, uh, whatever it may be, some kind of um, LGBT group. And I, I, I think some people think, oh, that's just... You know, I've heard sniffy attitudes from certain people who think it's... Uh, beneath them somehow or that the real event is the clubbing you do that night or the night after and I think no let's be out there let's be seen um, walking down the main streets of your city or past the parliament or whatever and yeah be political be celebratory and allow yourself to feel a sense of community with all sorts of people that we are connected with because I, I, I feel concerned that, you know, if you're a young lesbian, say, these days and you find something fantastic uh, coming your way from a group like Get the L Out, which you may have heard of. I think they were the um, people who were stopping the march in 2018, was it? You know, and if, if you 
if that's the first thing you find online and they're really lovely and supportive and you become close to them personally, how do you move away from that to um, thinking about a more inclusive LGBT politics or a more positive sense of the community overall? Because I, I see signs all too often of, of things that take me back to uh, the late 70s and early 80s. And I'm thinking of a sign I saw in a cafe in Edinburgh, a women's cafe, where it said no men over six years of age. And I think, oh, that's just really sad. Are we men at six years of age? Is that, do we really need this? Is that really helping lesbians to exclude boys not not even men um and so there there's a lot of things going on just now which are really upsetting and i'm not sure that social media makes them any better i do love the you know people getting together in a room or on a street or in a club a lot of people have not really experienced that people who've only recently come out and there's there's so little of actual um lgbt spaces anymore whether it's community centers or or our own commercial scene so um pride still has a lot of mileage for me obviously well it's never not going to because i'm one of these people who sees myself as as i said a sexual minority. I remember I had Peter Tatchell come talk at an event organised in Scotland a long time ago, and I'm a great admirer of Peter. Uh, one of the things he said was, it was about where he hoped things would go, and he had this hope, which I didn't really share, because he, he was hoping and expecting that it become irrelevant, basically, at some point. I, I feel that while we will always be in the minority, there will always be regimes, institutions, places where we are really the scapegoat, where we are oppressed, whatever it may be. And I see so often people thinking, right, we can relax now because we've, we've won X, Y and Z. And I think, well, I'm not content until people like me all over the world and as, as I say amongst that I include HIV positive people sex workers people who are romantically or sexually um, attracted to trans people I see them as part of the plus if you like because um, you know they're, they, they're not a, a visible community there's there's so many sexual minorities and um, I think there's a, a lot of there's a long way to go, not just here, but, but also here, but most certainly around the world. And I always make a point if I travel abroad of trying to connect with the local LGBT community because I feel like that's what I am. I feel like my community is not a geographically based community. And so, yeah, if I'm in Egypt, of course I want to meet gay people, yeah. Thank you for coming and speaking to, with us today, Peter. It's been really interesting to hear about your experiences of Pride and it sounds like you've been involved in Pride in so many different iterations over the years and seeing the changes in terms of corporations and how accessible Pride is. Um, we just have one final question to you, which we're going to be asking all of our guests, um, and that is, 
what would you want to say to younger or newer members of the LGBT plus community? I feel I have a special responsibility to say something about marriage and parenting. Um, my partner and I were the first gay couple to marry in the UK and we were amongst the first crop of gay and lesbian couples to adopt after the uh, the law change earlier this century. And I've often spoken about this and written about this. I feel there was such a power in coming to uh, celebrate your own sexual identity, to explore that and really run with it and to feel um, what it is to feel good about yourself when you're outside of the mainstream. I should say this book I've just given you, Io, is called Mainstream, and I hope you enjoy it thoroughly. And um, when when you do that, you start to question how society is structured and some of the things you've been made to believe, as it were, throughout your life, from parents, school, uh, your religion, whoever it may be. And so when you start questioning things, you can then build a greater sense of yourself and a greater sense of community. And I am very concerned that people would, and, and I understand the pressures why people would feel younger people, that they should move towards getting married and having kids. And I wouldn't stop anyone from doing those things if that's what they want. But it's this easy route to acceptance that people want. People, I'm not saying they all want the easy route, but they all want acceptance. Uh, we all want to feel valued and understood and I think there are a lot of mistakes people might make by just embracing the ease of that route to as it were respectability and acceptability and inclusion rather than thinking about um, firstly experiencing fully the joy of just living life as someone who feels they're not bound by the rules that's great. Thank you, Peter. And it's really great having you on the podcast. As um, Aya said, um, we really appreciate um, you sharing your experience and your thoughts about this. Um, I think it's giving, it's giving us a lot to think about, um, perhaps a lot to debate about as well moving forward. Uh, and what I found most interesting is um, what you said in the very beginning. You said, um, because there wasn't none in Scotland at the time. Again, I'm not trying to tease out your age here. <laughs> but, I said my age. <laughs> <laughs> but I've known you for many years anyways. But, um, you know, you said in the beginning there wasn't none in Scotland, so your experience started here in London. Um, and, and then you closed off with saying, you know, I won't uh, be comfortable until everyone around the world could actually have that acceptance and understanding of themselves um, and about themselves. And, and I think that's so important because perhaps it's telling about what pride really might mean to people as well. It's just a, it's really about um, it being the means to an end and the end really is that acceptance and that understanding that people are striving for. Um, so thank you so much for being here. Did, did you want to add something? Oh, well, I could talk all day. Uh, <laughs> Um, I, I forgot what I was going to add, but it was it was about that idea that yeah, people might feel that marrying is going to be such a joy, and it's like one of those little fantasies of uh, happiness. I'm not saying it can't bring happiness, but um, when there are so many other ways to live and other priorities, 
um, including for our community. And when I say that, I do mean I genuinely feel part of a global community. That's how I think of us. And um, so while I think it helps us globally to have the opportunity to, say, adopt children in South Africa, and wouldn't it be great if you could do it anywhere in Uganda, if you could marry in Uganda as as a lesbian couple, wouldn't that be fantastic? Um, but that's not what I'm looking for as a way of making progress. I think it's great that we have politicians and sports stars, celebrities, all sorts of people, diplomats who are LGBT and they are out there in the world getting on, doing what they do and representing us uh, and, and being visible. Um, and I hope that starts to help change things, but um, not at the expense of being us on our own terms. Thank you, Peter. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for again for coming. It's been really interesting talking with you. Thank you. It's been lovely to be here. Thanks for listening to Spill the Tea with your hosts, Panagiotis Pantaris and Ayo Oluyemi. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you're keen to listen to more, join us for the next one. You can also follow us on Twitter at UOG underscore LGBT. That's all for today, folks. See you next time. Bye.